and I think every dad could be this way as well, that if you have a certain amount of good in you, a certain amount of likes, pleasures, whatever it is, not just for you, it's for your kids as well. Like you could 100% influence your kids. Getting divorced, I would say a lot of people would say that that's a very painful part to their life. And the honest truth is like this, that you can't put a square inside a hole, you can't put a hole inside a square. You gotta live in the moment with reality. And many times we'll say like, I need that past. I can't have it being taken away. But I mean, evolution is real, my friend. And, and the honest truth is that God was telling him, your growth is so exponential. What you thought was gonna hold you in the past is actually holding you back. And I was taking on the role of both dad and mom because somebody needs to take care of the kids. And I always said, you you know, you go do your thing. You go do jujitsu, go running. We never spent any Sundays together because I always said, you have your groups of friends, it's healthy. I promoted too much her life and not our life. Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. The podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce. To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Yoel. Welcome back to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. You can find us on twodadtoquit.com, Two Dad to Quit on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube clips. We are very excited to be here. Please subscribe, like, share, comment, rate this podcast so we can get the message out to as many people as possible. If you have a story that you want to share, please contact us. We want to share your story. Your story can have a big impact on others. This week, we are sitting down with Isaac Moss. Isaac lives in Teaneck, New Jersey, and got divorced four years ago. Isaac is a dad to two sons and a professional dog coach. Isaac also enjoys jujitsu, singing, running, biking, crystal mining, road tripping, and hiking. Well, welcome, Isaac. Um, Thank you. It's really exciting to have you here. The, the reason why I actually tracked you down uh, was because I saw one of your posts and you were singing Disney songs to your, to your kids. And yeah. I, I can't sing. So for me, it was like, that's awesome. Um, yeah, thank but you. You, post, you posted it in kind of a way like, now I can finally be my true self. And yeah. the way you, you connected your true self and with singing Disney, I thought yeah. it was very cool. Because uh, there's a lot of people, you know, like, I don't, again, I can't remember songs or lyrics or any of that. But there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that are like really into show tunes, but they're afraid to do it. They're like shower singers. And yeah. So I thought it was very cool how you were just like, nope, this is me. And I'm putting this out there for the whole world to see. Um, so that, that's really why I reached out to you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's that goes in line with a lot of how I function and how I think it's, I call it healthy vulnerability. It's something where I had to figure out on my own. I think sometimes people are taught it. Some people experience it. Some people try to ignore it in terms of having to be healthfully vulnerable. And when I say ignore, I think honest truth, I think majority of people are either ignoring it or learning it. Um, like I have this quote that there's always a lot being taught, but very little is being learned, right? And in life. So every single day there's lessons, a thousands, if not millions, right? It's more just about what is your mind? What is you, what are you willing to actually absorb? So through time, trial, error, uh, divorce is a huge one. Like I, I obviously, I saw it all as like a laboratory, right? Like God is essentially like the head chemist and we are his, uh, if you want to say it, like lab assistants, you know, and, and we're given, uh, like, you know, we're given the opportunity to create whatever we want, essentially, right? We have the formulas, we have all the elements that's needed in order to create something. It's more, do, do we believe we could create? And also do we believe that it may not work, but that doesn't mean you, you don't come back tomorrow. Um, so the show tune specifically, that was like, I've been singing my entire life, uh, ever since I was six, I think it was, uh, my grand, my grandparents are very into jazz, very into opera, um, and musicals. So in classical music. So when we moved to America from Paris, France, my grandparents, yeah, the whole story in that as well. Uh, we moved here. My, uh, my, my parents were working probably three jobs from what I remember. They were working a lot. So my grandparents are the ones who pretty much raised me during the first few years. And all I heard was this style of music, show tunes, it was classical, whatever it was. And I, that definitely stuck in me. And I don't know if it naturally created this ability to sing that way because nobody else in my family can. 
going back generations and generations, nobody can. Uh, and uh, yeah, in, in, in a school, I was made fun of a lot because I naturally had a different type of voice. And I, I was in religious yeshivas as well. Um, you know, there I was, I would say probably I could count at least three to five times actually kicked out because they said I was putting on too much of a show uh, because of my voice. So now, like, again, I I think people like to say I don't care. I You know, I don't give a F to the world, you know, and I think that unfortunately, unless somebody understands literally where they're supposed to be in life, I think that's usually said out of desperation or reactivity. Right. But they're not they're just it's almost like a facade or a cover up to what they're going what's going on inside. I've never maybe I've tried to say those words before, but like honest truth, I did care. I cared about what people thought about me. I cared about what my ex thought. Um, I cared about what the yeshiva thought. And we can go through exactly like how I got to this. But after maybe I would say it's only been maybe a couple of years, but like I really have understood that and that we are, as the we all say, I think our sages say, we're Olam Katan, we're a small world, which means that we have our own badge of honor. We have our own coat of arms. We have our own legacy, our own destiny. We all have that inside ourselves. God decides to live inside you and me. It's not that we decide to live inside him, right? Mm. We have to decide to live in harmony with him, right? But he's already inside us, meaning he decided to be inside me. He decided to be inside you. I'm really important then, right? I'm really significant. My God-given talents, my God-given abilities, like honest truth, they should not be wavering. They should not be faltering towards what the society environment or other people say at all. Like, if I really think about it, God is stronger than all of them. And in turn, I'm stronger because he's in me. So mm. I, my kids definitely are a channel. And I'm so thankful that I have them because my kids are a channel for me being just super organic. Like, and I think like when you look at, um, when you look at like uh, your kids, not just do they look like you physically, but there's the ability that they could look like you spiritually, uh, emotionally, mentally as well. Um, it's all obviously depending upon your confidence in who you are. Because I know that I have a lot of talents, a lot of skills, passions, hobbies, etc. I involve my kids literally every step. When I'm doing my marathons or half marathons, I'm actually FaceTiming my kids while I'm doing it because uh, mm -hmm. I share the moment with them, right? And yeah. if I'm out in the Grand Canyon, wherever I'm traveling, tra trail running, whatever it is, on, on a beach, like I involve my kids because it, it's actually to the point now where like each kid, I have two boys, they've all developed uh, what they actually, like what their hobbies are, their mm -hmm. their uh, pleasures, uh, based upon literally my own, not to be self-centered, but I do know that, and I think every dad could be this way as well, that if you have a certain amount of good in you, a certain amount of likes, pleasures, whatever it is, it's not just for you, it's for your kids as well. Like you can a hundred percent influence your kids. And I do believe in what the Chachamim said about Chanuch Pidako, right? You should, you should educate your, your youth according to their path and which that in and of itself is, I think some people could have a, I, I know there's two types of, I think, parenting. There's one, just force the kid to do it. And there's the other one of like, mm -hmm. be a little bit kinder. And I like to say like this, I believe that every single person has God given ambitions, talents, that their instincts are actually programming them towards their own level of success. So when I saw both my kids being born, there was one is Tuvia, one is Shimshon. Tuvia is mm -hmm. eight. Shimshon is six and a half. When Tobio was born, he was looking up at me. He's like studying my face. Hmm. And I remember in that moment, I told myself that he's going to be an inquisitive kid. He's going to be an observer. He's going to be alpha. And I'll explain what that means. I'm using terminology <laughs> from dog training. But yeah. I just saw that his brain worked more than his body. Right. And, and I knew that I had to give him things for, to figure out. Shimshon, on the other hand, like he came out doing punch kicks. He was doing arm bars when he was one years old. Like he was, I was like, that's why we named him Shimshon, right? We, <laughs> yeah, me Sam, and my ex said, Samson, yeah, Samson, the mighty one, you know, and like I said, like he's gonna, like we're gonna have to channel. In reality, I'll tell you honest truth, I align more with my younger one because that's more me. I am the physical one. I, 
I don't care to get into an altercation. I mean, I don't want it, but I don't run away from confrontation, you know, and I thrive in a way through healthy social interactions. I used to be like my older one uh, growing up because I used to be scared of people. I used to be more introverted. Um, so it was a challenge. But what's amazing is, is that when I looked inside myself and I saw that the past that I've been through, the hobbies that I've accumulated, I was like, oh, my God, there's enough for each kid to have something. Right. If I wanted to almost like give like a, a Yerusha, like an inheritance away of my of my skills and my hobbies, you know, like each one. So I enrolled my younger one in jujitsu and judo and he's killing it. Um, <laughs> both of them together. We all do mud runs. We all do like our own five K's or whatever. Um, and my older one, um, I always have something new for him, like science projects. I enroll him in arts and crafts um, programs and uh, tonight he's actually trying out fencing for the first time because I know it involves more than mind. Yeah, and it's 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 a trip to be able to understand that the greatest moment you have is what's in front of you, not behind you. Um, and going, yeah, I know this is like a long part to to this piece, but um, getting divorced, I would say a lot of people would say that that's a very painful part to their life. And the honest truth is like this that. You can't put a square inside a hole. You can't put a hole inside a square. You got to live in the moment with reality. Mm. And when Yosef, I always reference this to Yosef at Sadiq, when he got punished for telling the Sar Hamashkim, right? The wine merchant. Right, Joseph. Like, yeah. Remember him, Joseph. Yeah. When Joseph told the wine merchant the story thousands of years ago, he said, remember me. He was in the jail cell. And right. he got punished for asking somebody, to, which I would think like is, and I'll tell you, uh, when I thought of this, it's actually a unique one that came to my head, this epiphany. But what, like, why do you get punished? Like, you think about it. You're in a prison, so you're going to be writing to everybody. You're going to be telling everyone, release, right. get, petition for my release, etc. You know? So if you think about it, this is the message that I got. When you used to be of extreme importance and then nothing and everything is taken from you, what's the most important thing you have? It's yourself. Because why else are you left, right? Mm. It's really coming down to the real, real raw root of what is actually the most important thing, you know. So Yosef, Joseph, when he saw the wine merchant going by, he immediately thought like, oh, wow, that reminds me of my royal past because he used to be second to head in Potiphar's house. Right. right. And he was like, that's that reminds me of my past. I need my past. You know, I need to have this um, this royalty that I used to have the regal way of living. And God was like, no. No, like you need you. That's what you need. And and that's that came to me. Uh well, I'll tell you soon where that how that came to. But in regards to divorce, I won't say honestly anything in life, but like divorce is a big thing. It's it's a connection that is taken away. We we many times will act like Yosef. We many times will say, like, I need that past. I can't have it being taken away. But mm. I mean, evolution is real, my friend. And and the honest truth is that God was telling him, your growth is so exponential. What you thought was going to hold you in the past is actually holding you back. And this is why, I mean, I, I'm just spewing, but like um, when uh, when Avram had to leave, right? When the Torah says that when Abraham's, yes, I'll reference in that way. When Abraham had to leave his father's house in order to do the great journey, you know, to go to the land of Canaan, Canaan, which is now Israel. Um, so he, God says, leave, go for yourself, leave your land. Leave where you were born and leave your father's house. It's mm. so a lot of places you got to leave, right? And I remember there was a faint, there's a question like, why leave your father's home? That's understood, right? Imagine you're leaving the place you were born. Like that's just, it's understandable that it would include your father's home. But the answer in that is more that the, fa that the father's home reflects the way you were brought up, reflects the ways of the past. This is what the Hassam Sofer, a very famous rabbi from Eastern Europe to two. 200 years ago or so, he says his answer. He says, the father's home represents and reflects how you're brought up. So mm. many times what you went through is actually meant to be left. Doesn't mean it wasn't worth anything. It's meant to be left. And that's the same thing with Yosef. And I think that was the same thing with me, understanding the necessary step of evolution where I had to actually uh, take that step forward and say, you know what? Like I'm now a, I'm now a square or I'm now a round uh, circle. I'm not meant to be in this place. How could I go forward? And um, having kids is a blessing. And honestly, I think even just peace 
is the most one of the most beautiful things we can do. My, I'll give you a little bit as to my story, like how how I was raised, where I where I've come from. Well, one second, I want to interrupt you, but then we'll continue with that story. Because yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's so much I could ask you that will go take, ask, yeah. take up the rest of our time. But it's so interesting because I was just, I literally just had this. Uh, this discussion with uh, with my therapist and he kind of used a, you know a similar analogy he said like you got derailed so to speak you were on a, you were on the train you were on the main track you know the same track that the average person is on and you got yeah. derailed and now you're you're walking through the desert and you know it's a journey and you know it sounds cliche but and, and he he worded it a lot better um, he actually recommended a movie that I watch uh, that I'm in the middle of watching called Which Baba one? Z's. It's called Baba Z's. It's a it's a it's a very it's an art house movie based on uh, Sufi uh, two Sufi Muslims, a, a young girl and her grandfather oh, wow. traveling through the desert. And there's a lot of beautiful lessons involved in that. Um, but I'm curious because he talked about that. And it's, it's really the same idea that you're talking about, that you leave that past behind. And I felt that in many ways in terms of the shedding of the skin, you know, the yes. The, Evolution. For the most part, the friends I used to have, the life I used to have, the apartment I used to live in, the you know, the, the car I used to drive, anything from the material to the to the less material. Why do you think? I mean, I don't know if any of us could answer why, but but I'm going to ask you anyways. See what you think about sure. it. Why? Why is it that some are chosen, so to speak? Right. Speaking of the chosen one in Abraham, why yeah. is it that us three sitting here right now, for example, and any other divorced man that that's or or woman that's listening to this podcast? Why are we part of that chosen group, right? Like, why don't you say that everybody should have their own mission in the same sort of way? So, you know, why, yeah. what, what is it that makes us unique and that we're all bound together in this in this new mission in life? It's a really good question. Uh, the immediate answer that's coming to my head, well, I actually would say I have two answers. I think a lot of us go through that evolution phase, right? Some have, everybody has it differently. Like for some people, for some people, losing a car is not as important as losing a house, right? So like us right now, we're talking about losing a marriage. That's huge. But for some people, there might be a huge other thing that happened mm. in huge magnitude, possibly bigger and greater. Mm. Uh, I think evolution is necessary. A snake goes out of its skin, right? Um, the the trees lose their leaves and then you got, you got it again. Snow comes, snow goes. But I would say that a lot of people who like for me, for example, I went through a, a hard, somewhat hard type of upbringing, a lot of change. So I did in a way find solace. I found light in my ex. All right. And I'll, I'll admit that. Uh, I say my ex was my exit and from <laughs> my past, you know, if you want to spin a little positively. And the thing is, you know, naturally codependency occurs. Right. And I think for any normal, anybody, I give you an analogy. I, I give it always say this to other people. Think about a doctor when a doctor for a doctor to become a doctor, imagine a kid, he's, his aspirations to be a doctor. From the time they're 10 to whatever, 28 years old, they're going to have at least 500 exams, right? There's mm -hmm. so many tests. Why? Because that's how great the potential is. To become a doctor, you have to go through so many tests. So the people who get tested the most is because the end result, the outcome is so much greater, right? Mm -hmm. That's the reason we get tested. So for people who, let's just say, go through a divorce, I, you know, I would probably, I would possibly say there may have been a very high level of codependency that may have occurred. And God wants them to learn how to actually believe in themselves. God mm. wants them to learn how to actually figure life out on their own terms, their own wavelength. Mm. Uh, some people, I don't think a lot of people do that though. Uh, you know, a divorce could happen. Unfortunately, not a lot of people have the positive outlook on it. Um, and they will stay in the past a lot. And the reality is like, you got your own bills. You have your own place now. Like mm. right, sink into the moment, you know, like there's the ideal life and there's the real life. And um, just like when I'll reference the the golden calf, I always reference things from the Bible because it just, you know, true or not, according to people it. think. Yeah, there's just the stories are awesome, right? Yeah. So yeah. like the golden <laughs> calf, think about it. Like they, they, they built this glorious, magnificent statue, which must have cost millions of dollars, let's just say, right? And God said no. Like, all he wanted was two stone tablets and people just to commit verbally. I mean, if you think about it, like a golden calf in a way, right? Even if you want to say it was connected to God or not, I mean, I, I from what I read, it was a symbol. They didn't necessarily serve it. It was just they, they missed Moses because Moses disappeared. He went up into the cloud. So they needed a new Moses, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't necessarily believe that was God. 
but still like god could in a in an interesting way you look at it like all god wanted was stone tablets all god wanted was somebody to just say i can do yeah because that's reality not always will you have gold not always will life be glorious and full of magnificent aha moments and things working perfectly so the people who have divorced, I think it's because they have the potential, just like to become a doctor, you got to go through a lot. They have the potential to discover how life could be so beautiful, even in its darkest moments, mm. even in its most uh, detached, de you know, moments where you thought you were supposed to be connected, but you're not. Uh, for me, it's amazing. Like it has had such an uh, effect where like I was supposed to go on a beautiful hike this Wednesday morning with somebody. Um, they may be listening, but we worked it out already together. Uh, <laughs> we were supposed to go on a great hike and they ended up saying, um, I'm so sorry, I can't do it. Right. So they thought I was going to get mad. Like they thought like, like, you know, also I love the outdoors and I was like, no, it's fine. They're like, how could you be okay with it? I was like, plan B, you know, like I just figure out the next thing, you know, when the door is closed, you don't try to open it. You look for the window because if the door keeps closing, the door is shut. There's a reason why it's shut. You got to go look for another way out path of least resistance. Right. Mm. And that's what I, and path of least resistance is how animals perform. And I'll reference that soon about what I've learned from my dog training, mm. from my jujitsu, but it greatly applies in divorce. And I think in any sort of confrontation, naturally people will resist. People will go against because in their mind, it should have worked out in their mind. You know, there should have been some sort of outcome of peace, not peace. Um, happiness oh some sort of aura of oasis or whatever it is that we dreamed of uh but yeah in, in a long answer but short to the point right now that the people who go through it they have the potential to really teach to others and to believe with, within themselves how much they're capable of um other people i would say there's some people who are simpletons in whatever way you want to say that in regards to the maybe what we go through they're simpletons because they didn't get divorced so they didn't have the hardship um for them, their potential is going to be discovered through other ways. You know, um, mm. if it's through their career, if it's through community work, whatever it is, we all experience hardships. It's it's stupid to say we don't. It's mm -hmm. just each one to their own. Yeah, beautiful answer. Uh, I love thank that. You, thank you. Love yeah. that. Awesome. Yeah. So you were gonna uh, you were gonna go into your story. Uh, yeah, my story. I has a question for you specifically, but I interrupted your your narrative. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'll go through my story and I'll also tell you about. My dog training and jiu-jitsu, which I would say the two prime parts of my life that's really influenced how I think. So uh, I was born in Paris, France. I'm 31. Uh, my father was born there as well. He, his father was Polish. His mother came from Turkey. And they settled in France, Paris, France, to be exact. My mom is from Atlanta, Georgia. And oh. she, yeah, down nice. south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she moved to Paris to pursue um, culinary. So after a little bit, my mom wasn't religious. My dad, I mean, they both became religious. They met each other. They got married. They had me and my brother. Um, after a couple of years, I think it was 1995 to be exact, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. We moved, we, we moved to the United States. It was just too much um, of what was going on. Already anti-Semitism was on the rise in France. So we moved here. Um, and then in Atlanta, we're there for a few years. Then we moved to Pittsburgh. I still have family in Atlanta. Pittsburgh, my father did his residency over. He had to kind of re reapply for the boards. He's a doctor, I should have mentioned. Wow. Great um, sports towns, by the way, Atlanta. Pittsburgh. Yeah, you're I right. I was a Braves fan. I was a Steelers fan. You know, those are yeah. two good teams. Two yeah. very good. The Penguins as well were is a, is a good hockey team. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was in both areas. It was great. We were part of Chabad. I was pretty, we're part, pretty much part of the greater Chabad community of Squirrel Hill. And the memories were, are awesome. Like we had, it was very classic, I would say Jewish American, you know, American in the way that like cobblestone streets and there was a trolley. And uh, after school, I would go and like get my Pokemon cards or baseball cards and watch a movie with friends like at the theater. And mm. it was carefree, you know, like yeah. thank God America didn't have as much in-house terrorism, if you want to say, as it has now. Um so after, when I was about 10 years old, right around 9-11, we moved to Muncie, to New York, <laughs> suburb of New York City, about 35 miles northwest. And that area was is significantly way more religious than what we've ever lived in. It was, I would say it started off as a conservative Jewish slash, then it got like modern Orthodox. And by within like, I would say from like, I don't know, early 90s, I mean, it started booming because a lot of Hasidim 
moved from Brooklyn, then in the 2000s got bigger. Um, and then just now it's just completely pretty much, I would say 80% Hasidish. So for the first time I saw people wearing the fur hat, right? The strimal, uh, I saw different things that I've ever experienced and my parents, they had hearts of gold and they really wanted to be closer to Hashem, to God. They decided to join various different synagogues and various different movements and they're trying things out. So they left Chabad, they left the Chabad. Yeah, uh, they left. Yeah. Cause naturally, I mean, in Muncie, in that area, like Chabad didn't really have to do anything. Chabad was mostly like the outreach. Right. Mm. So in Muncie, everybody's already religious. So right. they were a minority, to be honest. So my parents kind of went with the flow of like what the neighbors were doing. They didn't really know that much, you know. And so me and my brother, we experienced, we went from modern Orthodox, essentially Chabad, to ultra, ultra right-wing extremist uh, Orthodox. That's what I went through. And I personally, on my own personal level, I... I, from the age of like 14 till 17, I pretty much went, I just traveled between one sect to another sect, just trying to find, if you want to say a home, like some sort of comfort, some sort of love. There was a lot of change. I'm not going to get too personal. A lot of change that went on in my, in my own home. Um, a lot my parents are going through as well, that they thank God they're amazing. So there was just a lot that I felt and I absorbed mm. and I just never felt at peace. Um, I also, I would say I have a personality type of being the leader, but also wanting to be a follower. So sometimes it clashes depending on the environment I'm in. And in the Hasidic world, it didn't work because everybody's a follower, right? Mm. Just like in the military or in the police. Um, And so that's why I kept moving and moving. And, and, and with due to, with course of the time, I actually became more and more religious, more of an extremist, more radical. And it kind of all just exploded at a certain time. I actually had a nervous breakdown when I was a teenager oh, wow. and yeah. And I, um, I even had like this, like a uh, psychosis of predicting that there was going to be the terrorist attack in Mumbai. Um, I said it the morning that it happened. That no morning, way. I said, I said, there's going to be an attack in Mumbai later today. Wow. Yeah. So I, I was at psychosis, if you want to call it, like my brain just was not functioning uh, appropriately. So I, and my therapist back then said he was religious and he says, go to our rabbi, don't do, don't do therapy anymore. So I wasn't guided properly. So mm. at the age of like 18 to 19, I started martial arts. I started losing, I started getting into fitness. I actually left that way of life. I, and it wasn't that hard to leave because all my friends, I was actually always in more of a mainstream school setting, even though like on Shabbat, on the weekends, I was in a radical setting, more right wing. But I didn't have the conviction, didn't have it in me to change fully. So I mm. looked very religious, but yet most of my friends were not like that. So all I had to do was just kind of like, I would say, start dressing as I did when I was 10 years old or, you know, back then, going back eight years, eight, yeah, and, or like just being with my friends. And it wasn't such a hard process, but you left um, the religious lifestyle completely or you no, were no, like modern? Went, yeah, more modern, more yeah. modern. I still had rabbis. I still have rabbis now. Um, And I, yeah, I self-enrolled in college. I walked into college and I would say about like six months after that, it was about six months after enrolling college. I must've been just close to 21. I met my ex and she, I already had been dating for a year and a half before that Mm -hmm. Uh, more actually a serious style of dating because in the yeshiva I was in or the rabbis I was around, they all wanted us to get married early. I was just a little bit of an extremist uh, view, you know? So she was the first girl I ever hit on, I ever talked to without there being a matchmaker um, or a shotgun, anything like that. And it was, it was like exciting, you know, it was like, Oh my God, I talked to a girl. Um, So, you know, like it it was, so in all truth, um, she was everything opposite of what I had gone through. She didn't, she didn't have a past like mine. She was a black belt in karate also. So it was, yeah, it was very interesting. So uh, fast forward a bit. We got married very quickly. Uh, This was something that my rabbi told me to do. Um, He was, he was an Hasidic rabbi and he didn't like that. I was just hanging around with her and like, just not really being so serious. So under four months after we met, we were married. Uh, She was in nursing school and being the nurturing person I am, I put her life first. And also for me, I was still sort of new to living in the outside world. I was not even two years in. 
I wasn't really totally sure as to what I wanted to be. I was a personal trainer because I was in the fitness. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a physical, ther- physical therapist because I was in the fitness. The second I got married, um, I put her first. And then we had our first kid and I got up early for him. I didn't want, cause she was still in nursing school. I didn't want her like losing up from schooling and whatever. Um, and then we had our second kid. And at that time I told her, I said, you know what? Like she also wanted to move from Muncie. I said, let's move to South Jersey where it's a little bit more open. The community is more like a little bit, I guess our vibe. We were modern Orthodox at the time. So we, we moved to South Jersey and at that time, I decided, let me get into nursing homes because I was working, uh, I had a, a bachelor's of science and my whole family's medical and there's a ton of nursing homes or just Jewish owned healthcare facilities yeah. uh, where yeah. I could network easily. So I got a job right away. I got into administration. And at that time, that's where like two things happened. So my ex uh, got very busy. I got her every job she had. I went to, I actually went to all the nursing home owners giving out her resume um, <laughs> and she got like a really good job. So, but now we started experiencing being away from family, right? Cause we were living two hours away from family. Uh, and I also started experiencing an actual community. Like, oh my God, I have people that I could vibe. I was arranging like the, the get togethers for all the new young families because of me. A lot of people down there have people's phone numbers. Um, I, I arranged, yeah, uh, there's a weekly Torah, uh, portion, like everybody writes their own thoughts in the Torah in the whole, in the community. I started that amongst many other things. So we naturally started feeling like this divide because she missed her family a lot. And I was becoming very grounded and very like, oh my, I'm experiencing life. I'm experiencing secular life. I'm experiencing Jewish life in an independent way without there being social pressure. I used to get phone calls when I was in the radical groups. Ask, people ask me where I was in the middle of the night, you know, like, where oh, were you last night? Things like that. And they had no business asking me that. So I was now living, if you want to say, my own personal paradise um, while juggling my ex working nights, days. And I was taking care of the kids, bringing them to school, feeding them, taking them on walks, everything. Like, so we were at a crossroads. Like we, we basically experienced our own personal, I guess you could say, uh, journey which didn't really align with each other. Um, and after a little bit, like I would say like we both started realizing there's a lot more to the story, but I'm just going to keep it as simple. We both started realizing that um, we didn't really grow up. <laughs> you know, we didn't really grow up. I mean, my ex was not similar to my, her background. was not as similar, but still somewhat. She was a sensitive soul. And she finally lived outside the confines of the community. And she finally got her first really good job. And I was doing my best to be there for her. However, I was going through my own journey as well. And it was very hard to balance taking care of the kids. She was working like she was essentially taking on the role of, I would say, the dad working nights and days. And I was taking on the role of both dad and mom because somebody needs to take care of the kids. And I always said, you, you know, you go do your thing. You go do jujitsu, go running. We never spent any Sundays together because I always said, you have your groups of friends. It's healthy. I promoted too much her life and not our life. And then Mm -hmm. my own life, thank God I was able to salvage because I had a really good friend group. My friends were my family. So we were just, I, we experienced really cool evolution, but separate. At that time also, I started bringing my dogs to work and I started seeing how a lot of the residents were, come here. I'm just gonna hold for it. We got a puppy right here. So there it is. There it is. It's a puppy, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I started seeing how a lot of the residents started just like talking about war stories or God, I mean the stories are horrific, but I saw like, oh my god, like the dog is opening people up. And and actually to give a little intro, I was I grew up petrified of dogs. I used to run across the street when I saw a dog. Hmm. So um, I was like, there's something special, and I remember the the play on the word, the Hebrew word for dog is kelev, but mm. there's a play on that. It's kelev, which means like the heart. And, oh, and I, nice. yeah. Yeah. And also people say the dog backwards is God. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, there's something, there's something special about dogs where they're so domesticated to feel our emotions, to serve us. And my, and as I do with all my fears, I, I'm a, I used to be afraid. I still am of a lot of things. I like to study it. 
I don't, I don't just give into emotion. I like to study my emotions. And I started studying dogs, the dog psychology. And I came across this guy who he's a wolf trainer, wolf expert. He lived for three years with no human contact, just with wolves. Wowzers. And yeah, he's amazing. He's like Mowgli. I mean, he has a, a location <laughs> in, in England. I mean, he is. You see, his name is Sean Ellis. He's known as the wolf man. There's videos of him tearing apart a carcass and baring his teeth at the wolves and they back away from him. It's like crazy, crazy. But he teaches like about primal instincts. And I started vibing immediately. We're like, wow, like we all have the need for territory to have our house, to have our family. There's three primal instincts that dogs have. It's territory, it's food and procreation. Prey, food, same thing. Those are, and essentially we have that too. Procreation is reflective upon a, a promise for our future, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to know that tomorrow will come and it will be good. Uh, food, prey, is that we have to work for it. We have to earn it, right? Is It's like food for a dog. I have clients that they're like, my dog doesn't eat. They put food out, doesn't eat. And I always say, here's a trick. Put a, food, put a bowl on top. Put another plate on top of the bowl. And they're like, okay. Immediately the dog is devouring the food. Why? Because now they could work for it. Mm -hmm. So- and that's for us too. Like a lot of people, like when you see people who are restless, people who are just, I don't want to say depressed because that's a clinical thing, but you know, I, I don't want to just say depression goes away with this, but like it could anxiety, depression, and stress, discomfort, pain, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's because people are not finding an actual way to express their actual value, right? Like, why am I here? Why am I here? These are primal instincts. However you want to say, if we evolve from animals or not, we all, I think we all believe there's an animal spirit that kind of resides amongst us, among us. Like Hasidic thought believes in that. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, Eastern, yeah. right? Eastern philosophy also believes in, you know, how we, uh, how we have a source in the animal spirit. Mm -hmm. So, it, but to make it very simple, we all have primal instincts. The problem is nowadays we've become very relaxed. We've become very lazy and we expect things to happen. This is the reason why anybody I've seen like this, Anybody who's um, a farmer, maybe even a police officer, somebody that has to live a life that is, I would say, somewhat like stable, like it has to be predictable. You have to know everything. You can't take things for granted, right? Um, people who live in Latin America where like they work hard for their life and they, the house has been there for 300 plus years. Those dogs are not as reactive and they're not as crazy. The mm. dogs who are crazy are usually people who are transient, people who just let people walk on their feet all over them people don't know how to express their emotions express their thoughts and this is more of a modern day thing where technology has made things faster quicker right we don't feel well we bury our face in the phone we don't talk to the person in front of us mm. and the dog will talk instead right and this so that's where you see like and i see this with all my clients the second they're walking you know they're on their phone the dog is getting aggressive mm. but if they put the phone away and they start talking like oh and i do this with clients i teach them how to talk out loud like, oh, there's somebody across the street. It's okay, right? And I, or I had like a client that was so nervous. And I said, talk to your dog and make your dog believe you own the block, right? Mm. And like the guy was, I was listing off that mansion I bought for $45 million, you know? And like, it was just, his confidence grew and the dog just started walking. Didn't even pull. It's so interesting because we had, Ben and I have a, a mutual, very close friend and he was a guest yeah. on the podcast actually. Uh, he walks dogs and I, and I have noticed that, but now that you're saying it, now I could totally relate. Like he totally talks to the dogs, like they're friends of his, or if he's upset, he will voice his upset. He's yeah. very, and it's, uh, so I see there's something to it. It's not just, uh, as you would yeah. say, in Israel, it's not stum. It's not just for nothing. It's, it's not. Yeah. It, it's, it's a real thing. And also people are drawn to dogs because I want to just say it's because of love. I think it's all, there is something very therapeutic where the dog needs you for you, right? Mm -hmm. And we all have the ability to be a leader, like 100% regardless of our past. The thing though, is that we have to understand how to be a leader. A leader is not a narcissist. A leader is not an abuser, is not a toxic person. That's mm -hmm. someone who wants to be a leader. And, and I say like, there's the, the alpha personality type. It's so cool. Cause like, you'll see in a litter of puppies, the and it's and I help people find actual puppies like the personalities and understand them. There's always going to be one puppy who is stuck to the mom's nipple, always nursing, and and that puppy is also the one who's usually in the corner, more reserved and more into themselves. That's the alpha. The other ones who are crazy and moving and jumping and all that, those are what you call beta. Beta, just like a beta test when you're trying to prove a concept for a new project. 
right? It's taken from the wild where the alpha, typical like an alpha wolf, primitive, primal, they can hear up to five miles away. So they will sound like an alpha bark, which is like a one bark or roof. And there's some dogs that bark that way, like a one bark. And what happens is the betas, they're like, whoa, you know, they, they start looking around and then they rush forward. In a human household, they rush to the door. In the, pri in the primitive settings, they rush to the front of the cave and they engage with if it's enemy, if it's friend, or if it's a bear, whatever it is. And then what happens is the alpha in a human household, you'll see with two dogs, it's so cool. The alpha, the, the one behind will start smelling the other dog in front, trying to see if there's fear hormones. Like, you know, just like us, we emit gas when we're nervous. So the mm -hmm. alpha is trying to learn from, a, from, from the surroundings as to am I safe, are we safe? And in the wild, they will do the same thing. So a beta, somebody who's very into physical interactions, going to festivals, you know what I mean? Like that person, if that's their nature to be outgoing, be loud, they need those situations. They need those settings, right? Mm. And this is our primal instincts that are talking. And this is not just like a human psychology thing. This is like the, the beast inside ourselves needs that. And what's the alpha and, in a person? What's the equivalent? So the alpha, alpha in the person, somebody who's more reserved, more introverted, more philosophical, somebody who needs to look before they do. Like my that's son. That's so interesting. I totally was thinking the other way. Wow. No, that's the thing. Because yeah. we're used to leaders being narcissists. Yeah. We're used to leaders being or dominant. Toxic. What about dealing? There's a lot of like dominant, dominant personalities out there, right? That are dominance is confidence. You know, dominance is not intimidation. So no, but one can be confident without being dominating, no? no? That's the thing. So there's there's someone who's dominant and there's someone who's dominating. It depends on how you decide uh, to use your dominance, okay. right? Got like it. I I love jujitsu. I'll tell you, I love jujitsu. I love going on my back and I love people trying, trying to choke me, trying to submit me, trying to bend my arm, you know, because you know why I'm confident about it. You know, if I was truly that type of alpha, I wouldn't let anybody touch me. I'll mm. be like, get, get, get up, get away from me. But I'm so confident that I'm okay to be vulnerable. Right. right. I'm okay to let people come. And right. that's, that's the dog. Like my older son, we were playing soccer yesterday, yesterday. Right. And he started mm. crying during the, during the, the game. And I know him cause he's a sensitive soul. He thinks a lot. So it took me like five minutes to finally have him tell me it's because people make fun of me when I don't make a goal. So mm -hmm. I said, that's okay. I said, you know what? You see, my other son, Shimshon, he's this physically interactive kid. I could throw him in South Sudan. He'll be friends with everybody, right? So <laughs> <laughs> like that's him. So right. and the soccer field, he doesn't care if he doesn't get a goal. Why? Because he gets the ball and he tries again. The other one needs to understand how to make a goal, right? So I'm now working with him on literally just working at different angles as to how to kick the ball into the goal. Because that's how his brain works, right? And that's that's Hanukkah Darko. It's like teach your youth according to his way. It's there's a balance. It's not about necessarily just doing what they're good at and making it all peaceful and fun. And it's not about forcing them. It's about make putting them in uncomfortable situations for what they're good at, right? Mm -hmm. If he's if he's actually gonna talk, he just has to learn how to kick the ball in. That's what he has to do. I think people tend to look at confrontation, competition whatever stress and they look at it and they label it immediately. This is stressful. I, on the other hand, I look at stress and say, it's just an experience, right? I look at confrontation as a way of self-expression. I've had so many times people scream at me and I mean, it just happens. I'm a service provider or whatever. People just get upset. They get so mad. And I look at it as like, they're expressing themselves. And the same way, if I'm, if I meet a dog, this happened last week, literally last week, I had a dog who bit me on my leg. Right. And I knew that the owner was a very anxious person. And I told myself, if I tell her, because she didn't see this, if I tell her that her dog bit me, like she's going to freak out and the dog is going to bite more or the dog will go crazy. Right. So I told myself, the dog is just expressing herself. I'm going to give her a minute. I stand my ground. I always put a fist out because I said, I tell them, if you want to bite me, here, go. It's just mm -hmm. confidence, I'm not hurting them, I'm not fighting them. It's more confidence. Right. So after like a minute of a Mexican standoff, the dog, <laughs> <laughs> I call the dog backed off. But for an hour I was bleeding. I covered it up, but I didn't tell the owner your dog bit me. Right. Because I didn't take it personal. Hmm. And, and I, I was thinking about, it, I was like, wow, like that, not, not at all to boast, but that's just what like dog training, understanding primal instincts. This dog was protecting the family. This dog valued family and territory that much that they're willing to do that. I taught the family then, I said, you got to value your home. What I, all I did for them, I said, when I knock on the door, I want you to say in the most confident tone, 
one minute, right? Just mm. One minute. They practice that three times. Their dog has not left the bed when somebody knocks on the door now. Because wow. the dog now sees that they are aware of what's coming in, right? It's, but I, I have a question on humans, though. Yeah. Like, you, know, you talked about kids and uh, yeah. Darko, right? To, yeah. You know, but what about kids that are growing up in divorced families and they're getting very different parenting styles depending on which home they're in? It's a what good would you question. say about that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think if people could really put their opinions aside, uh, you know, and I mean... But let's say they can't. Let, let's say you take an average case where, because I right. understand you have a good relationship with your ex-wife, which yeah, is wonderful. Very good. But let's say yeah. you have, the, I don't want to say the average. I don't know what the stats are. But let's right. say they're, there's a, they're civil, but there's no sort of cooperation in terms of how they parent. You know, one parent parents one way, one parent parents the other. I guess, I mean, it's not beyond, it's not within your control, but is that a, that's confusing for children or, you know? Yeah, I, I would say it definitely is. And- mm -hmm. I, I do think that a lot of, so let's just say peace is not possible, which is sad, but let's just say that's not possible. If people, if let's just say a dad is listening right now or a mom, right. And they actually want to take the step forward in terms of making a good relationship with their kid, forget the ex, right. But right. with their kid, um, first off, kids will, kids won't remember what you did and remember how you did it. Right. Mm. And that's why for me, I've always had a smile when I wake mm. up, when my kids wake up in the morning, they're seeing me doing pushups in the morning, right? They're seeing me like hugging them. Every time I pick them up from school, I have not missed one day of throwing them, in, throwing them up in the air when I pick mm. them up from school. I don't care if I had a bad day, a crappy day, or a, their, their mom was mad at me. What I don't care. Like they're going to remember how I picked them up. They're going to remember how I handled them at supper time, you know, or making a Sunday worth it. Like, you know, I'm taking my kids to a rodeo this Sunday. They're going to remember mm. that forever, right? Wow. It, so I could, I could wallow in, I have those moments where like, it sucks, whatever. Being single is hard at times or having to handle with my ex, you know, whatever it is or running a company. But like when my kids are here, they don't know that stuff. Like mm. all they're going to remember is how I live my life. And they'll remember a few things like my recently, my, um, there was a cop that we're, we're just passing by and I asked, Hey, can my kids look inside your car? And he's like, like, sure. So the cop asked my kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know what they both said together? A dog trainer. Wow. Yeah. They want to be like me. Yeah. Wow. And it's my kids told me they want to travel like me. They want to be able to do um, mud runs. Yeah, well, we already do those. But my uh, kids know I, I, you know, I'm a lawyer in my other job. I mean, I don't really act as a lawyer, but I, they always, yeah. the, the joke was always, they knew the, the one thing I didn't want them to be was a lawyer like their father. <laughs> But anyway, well, they could be a happy lawyer or a happy person. Right. Right. right? Like that's, that's, that's why I did the Disney. That's how right. Ben got me. Right. Like I, I did the Disney because, um, I, my kids need to see me. Right. I, they can't, they don't need, they don't, they should not see, you know, how many times I've done with we, me and my kids, we go for Valentine's day. Uh, we did this a couple of times. We go out and we give roses to people, me and my kids, <laughs> um, because I want my kids to see that we love the world. Right. I want my kids to see that we handle. And this is, I don't even know, but that's beautiful. But isn't there something you talked about vulnerability? Isn't there a value to your kids seeing the real you? Not that that's not the real you, but right, let's right. say in moments where you have a dark period, yeah. wouldn't you want your kids maybe to, not to take it out on them, but maybe, you know, yeah. dad's having a bad day right now. He needs some time to himself. Isn't there a value to them seeing that too? Yes. Yeah. So what I like to do, I say this from my own personal life that I, Again, I'll reference in a second to the Bible, but I, I personally like to set up my, my, my trials and my obstacles. I don't wait for it to happen. I set it up myself. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is, which is fun. And that's the whole point of doing like an obstacle course. Right. And I, I see that because it's teaching me how every day could be right. It's not once a year you do an obstacle course. It's every freaking day. You happen to do it physically once a year, maybe. Right. So like there's a story last week, uh, last week's Torah portion where Bilam got up early in the morning to curse the Jews, right? Thousands of years ago. And Balak, the King Balak of, uh, um, I think, Ammon, right? So he he wanted to hire him, to hire Bilam, the famous prophet, to curse the Jewish people. And he gets up and he saddles his donkey. And so Rashi, the commentator, he says in the comments, maybe it's the Midrash. I don't know if the sages say this, but God says to Bilam, Rashak, in English, wicked one, Abraham already came before you. Because Abraham got up on his donkey early in the morning beforehand, right, years ago, to go and supposedly slaughter his son Isaac. 
Right. So, and I look at that and that's what saved in a way that the Jewish people, that was actually, if you think about it, that was the turning point where now God put blessings in Bilaam's mouth instead of curses because Abraham went and did saddle the donkey. And I look at that as life. Bilaam is life. Life is trying to test you. It's trying to mm. curse you. It's trying to get up early in the morning. The sun gets up mad early, you know, and, <laughs> and it's there and it's going to test you. Wake up in the morning feeling depressed sometimes because now the sun reminds you, oh my God, this is, this is the day that I'm supposed to have this and this and this. My ex isn't doing this or people not doing that. It's hard. But if you're like Avraham, where you're like, I'm not waiting for the obstacles, right? I'm not waiting for the trials, tribulations. I'm going to get up before it, right? That's what's going to save you. That's what's going to turn negativity into positivity because you took the chance. So with my kids, I they know, like I told you, when I do my half marathons, my marathons, I FaceTime them. I want them to see how I handle an obstacle. I want them to see how I intentionally, purposefully handle when something's hard and i tell them i literally say like when i'm doing it i'm like it's so hard like i and i will stress <laughs> that like should i do it and my son both sons are like daddy if you really want to be a strong person you should finish it mm. so then i when i have an actual dark moment you see it's almost like i i plan for that because it's inevitable to have a dark moment it's gonna happen mm. when i have that i if my kids are with me i will express the same way it's no different than when i'm doing a mud run my jujitsu or whatever it is I'm doing that's painful or hard. I ask my kids the same thing. I'm like, should I go forward? Right. Should I continue? And because I've practiced it a hundred times, they say the same answer. Dad, if you want to be really strong, you should go ahead. Mm. So I, I don't, I think a lot of people do want to live with glory, just like the golden calf. We want to live in moments where it's peaceful and beautiful, a great marriage, a great relationship, a successful life. Um, and we don't want to believe that darkness is, is, is the way of life. Night happens every single day. <laughs> it gets dark every single night, but we don't want to believe that we don't. Um, but if we start living a life with darkness in it on purpose, we embrace that part of ourselves in a vulnerable way where vulnerability doesn't have to mean you're weak. Being weak doesn't have to mean you're a loser, right? It's just part of life. You know, it's, I mean, there's this famous quote. I mean, I don't know if it's famous, but I've heard it from Les Brown. He says, when I fall down, I like to get up because it's too crowded down there, but, and <laughs> so, which is great. But at the same time, it's not making fun of the fact that you fell down. Yeah, you want to get up 100%. The reality is, is that being down is, is just part of life. Being up is part of fantasy. It's part of an ideal life. And I like that the fact that my kids get to see that part of me because uh, it means so much. And when they have their down moments as well, I just tap into them. I don't, I don't want to just be like that one hit wonder in that moment. A lot of people are like, you could do it. But if, if they're not hearing that every single day, if not, if they're not hearing that and you're not hearing it from your own self every single day, why should you believe it when it's really hard at that one moment? Right. It's just lip service. You got to prepare for those moments. Hmm. Well, speaking yeah. of moments, uh, this yes. is the two dad to quit uh, podcast. Segment. <laughs> yes and we'd Man. like our guests to share with our audience a two dad to quit moment a moment where you felt the most proud as a dad when you think about it your light just your face just lights up uh, if you can share share a moment uh, or like that would be yeah. great it's so random but it's so real um we were at shul a few weeks ago and i always i like to have like ever since my kids were really little I've always created like some like this cute like relationship with like inanimate objects. Like we would pass by a tree and it was really cute. I said, say hi to the tree, you know, because I want them to feel like there's a, what do you say? No, I laugh. It's funny. Yeah. Though. yeah. I want them to feel that they, they have a connection to the world around them versus just people because people don't always say hi back. Right. So I said, if that tree became theirs and I made that, I said, that's Shimshon's tree. That's Tovia's tree. And they feel that they can have some say in the world. So when the Torah comes out on Shabbat morning, all the time, ever since they're super little. And again, I'm not religious, but I, I go to shul on Shabbat morning. I go to synagogue. I even lead many times. They ask me to lead because um, I'm a trained singer. And I, I just, I love the experience. So when the Torah comes out, I tell my kids, go, 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 go kiss it. Because the Torah is, I said, the Torah is happy to see you and you should say hello because Torah has been away for a whole week, right? <laughs> so like my kids, they, they still do it. I ingrained in them since they're one. So recently we're at uh, Chabad nearby. It's a very big shul. The shul we went to was like really big. A lot. It must have been 100, 150 people. The Torah comes out, right? I'm sorry. The Torah is going back in. 
And everybody was like lining up to say Shabbat Shalom to the rabbi at the same time, I think. Maybe there was like an extra reading. I'm not sure how it was set up. And the rabbi reached down to say, or I think he walked up to us. That's what was going on. He was going around the shul and he walked up to us to say Shabbat Shalom. But at that moment, the Torah was just about to be put, being, was about to go back inside. And my kids, it's as if they didn't see the rabbi in the same way. They beelined. They went straight wow. to the Torah to give a kiss because they wanted to say goodbye before it went back in. And the rabbi turns to me, he's like, you're raising them pretty well. You know, and like, yeah, nice. it was in all levels in terms of spirituality, in terms of religion, um, confidence. I mean, there was just so much that I saw in that. But there, I just saw like, look, I'm not, again, I'm not religious. I've been divorced. I'm, I am divorced. I could really make this suck. and I can make it really bad. I could be like, I don't want to go to shul with my kids because I used to always go with my ex. I used to always look behind and, and like wave to my ex from the other side. You know, I was, we all did kiddish together. We had the, the meals, right? Yeah, mm. shul sucks in a way because it's me, just me. But I said, you know what? Now it is just me, right? Mm. Like, it's all about my ability to perceive this in a way where we could create a connection. And my kids, thank God, they did it the same way. And um, I've been told many times by other rabbis in the synagogue, like your kids have life in them. I'm like, yeah, like Beautiful. that's the point. I love that. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. And then the last thing we like to leave our, our listeners with is um, some advice and tips that you would give to anybody who's thinking about getting divorced, going through divorce, just, you know, finished divorce and trying to get, trying to figure out what's next. So that kind of advice that you would give to yourself, you know, five years ago. Good question. Um, I would say that you don't always have to be a victim just because something's happening to you, right? As Tony Robbins says, nothing's really happening to you. It's happening for you. Hmm. And if we could like really expand our brain and our mind to see what am I capable of? Like what really got me to get divorced? Like one of the things which as like I'm getting divorced, I wrote down three goals. Uh, and I asked my ex, could we get there together? We were already at the point where it wasn't working out. And I told her, I said, I think it's best for you to be free. And, you know, you need you need to have your own journey. And I eventually learned that I also did. Mm-hmm. But I wrote down three goals and she says she couldn't get there with me. And I said, that's the answer. So I think in order to because I took myself from victim to almost like being able to somewhat have some handle on this. Right. So I think if, if we could really take our minds out of our emotional pain and see of like, what are you capable of? Like, what is your life meant for? What is your skill set? What are your talents? So many people have talents, have gifts that they just, they just don't believe in themselves, partially because nobody else believed, especially mm-hmm. if you had an ex that didn't believe in you. That's also very hard. But think about you, you, you for a second, just like Yosef had to really focus on himself and understand like, what am I capable of? Like, what is my, and understand that, you know what, maybe I need time for that. So if I'm, if you're going through a divorce, uh, if you want to get divorced, really think about like, why is it not working? Obviously it's not working, right? Because why else are you thinking about that? And if it's because your life is on a whole different trajectory, right? And hers is as well, then maybe it might make sense to, you know, or hers versus him. Maybe it might make sense to actually have it happen, but that does not mean that there should be emotional drama necessarily. This is about two different journeys, right? Just like Lot and Abraham went different ways in that story, right? Hmm. When they when they came to Canaan. Well, one went uh, to Sodom, so I don't know. <laughs> I know well, that's true. <laughs> so one of them, well, one person, one. Hopefully, they're both going to better places. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Win-win, but win-win. Hopefully, we get right? the point. We get the point. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, and if and if there is actually emotional damage going on, then here's the truth like the only reason why you still feel pain is because you haven't really left and in order to leave you're attached you're still attached yeah in order to leave that does not mean to be nasty to the person does not mean to turn off it means to go to therapy it means to learn how to let go letting go does not mean that you left everything it means you learn what to hold on to Mm. right so holding on yeah holding on to something is you you hold on to yourself your life you got to build yourself up in order to hold on to yourself if you're just sand you can't hold yourself mm. but if you become a beautiful glass beautiful structure you know now you can hold on you got to sometimes build yourself in order to hold on to yourself so in that moment yeah you might be let's just say quote unquote worthless and it, and in face of this other person 
You may also be worthless, but think about what you deserve. Think about what inside. Look at Elon Musk. He was about to give up on uh, SpaceX, right? Four times failed launch offs, but he knew what it was going to do. And that's the same thing with ourselves. Like, what could you do? What are you able to do? Take step one, build yourself up. And that does not, again, have to include putting somebody else down or making somebody else have more pain. That just means you never left. Mm. There you go. Wonderful. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate being given this opportunity. Thank you so much. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ben. Thank you all. It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you, and for uh, all of you listeners, this has been the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and we will see you next week. This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yoel. Thank you for listening to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Available twodadtoquit.com. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.